0: Amen. Well, good evening. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 16. Tonight, the plan is to finish the Samson narrative. I'm going to begin tonight by reading just a few verses. Judges chapter 16. I'm going to begin in... Verse 18, and read down to 22. Hear this now, the word of the living God. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man And had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. And he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray now for the Lord's blessing. Our Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for giving us examples that we may learn from, giving us both propositional truth commands, laws, but also giving us narrative, and I pray that we will see in this narrative examples of what not to do, and that we will take those as warnings, and we will see examples of what to do, and that we will imitate that which is good, and may we see Christ, our Lord, our Savior, may we treasure him all the more because of what we see in his word, we pray in his name. Amen. There's a writer, his name is Andrew Leland. And he has an inherited condition that's caused him to go blind. He's written a book about it. He began going blind about 20 years ago while he was a teenager. It was not an overnight, sudden blindness. It was a slow, creeping, 20-year experience. It didn't come on all at once, but as Leland describes his experience, it was a slow drip, drip, drip into blindness. It's life-altering, for eyesight is one of the great gifts we've been given from God, and the gift of sight is often used in Scripture as a way to teach us spiritual realities. There's a parable here, I think. Physical realities, sight, blindness, light, darkness, these are Prominent themes used in Scripture to help us grasp spiritual truth. Consider Jesus' words from Matthew 6. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And Jesus speaks in this case about spiritual sight, and he uses physical realities to describe spiritual Reality is if your eyes are good, then you will be good and you will do good. If you have a bad eye, well, you're walking in darkness, in sinfulness. And sinners in the scriptures, those who do not know right from wrong, they're called blind. And in Judges 16, our text tonight, Samson's eyes are gouged out. They're put out. He goes blind immediately in a matter of just a few moments. But his blindness is a parable, and we are to see his blindness as the culmination of his folly. He is blinded physically, that we may understand he has been blinded spiritually. And in this way, Samson's spiritual experience is a lot like Andrew Leland's physical experience. Samson goes spiritually gradually, spiritually blind gradually. His loss of spiritual sight, it's a slow, creeping, decades-long experience. And yet in the end, even after he's blinded, there's a glimmer of light in this story, and I hope you can see that tonight. So let's begin. There's two headings, three headings, excuse me, three headings, but we'll begin with a warning. The first is a warning. Do not let your eyes grow dim. Do not let your eyes grow dim. Samson's eyes grow dim. And this hero of the faith, he has much to commend him, but his life, particularly this chapter, is a warning to us. So let's pick it up. Verse 1, Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of a hill that faces Hebron. So Samson is in an area occupied by Philistines. And this is perhaps a sign that he's doing what he was supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be delivering the people of Israel from the occupation of the Philistines. Remember from last time, God raised up Samson for this very purpose. Yet verse 1, he's in the foreign land and he sees a harlot. And this is the same description that we see in chapter 14. There we also saw The word saw. Samson saw a woman among the Philistines. He saw her and he wanted her for himself, though she was a foreigner and it was forbidden. And he goes to the prostitute and visits her. His sin is egregious. It's unholy. It's also foolish. The Gazites surround him. He could have been killed and he likely would have been had it not been for his strength. He takes the gates of the city and the doors As he escapes, and he just picks them up. That's his way of escape. And he takes them so far that he goes up a hill and places them there. We don't know how much the doors or the gateposts weighed, but we should presume that like other ancient city gates and doors, that these were massive doors, weighing much more than a normal man could carry. Well, think a moment though about Samson's foolishness. It's foolish to visit a prostitute for moral reasons, but it's also foolish for practical reasons. Samson he doesn't fear danger as he ought. He lets his guard down. And this is this is going to be a repeated theme. His eyes grow dim, and his, his, his field of vision just gradually gets narrower and narrower because he wants to sin. He doesn't see the danger he puts himself in. It's verse 4. Afterward, so a completely different incident, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him. That we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And at this point, the enemy knows the weakness of Samson, its women. This is now the third woman who will cause him great trouble. Satan learns your weaknesses over time, and he'll target those weaknesses. This is why we must learn, I think, to know our own selves. Consider. Consider this for a moment. Consider praying about this, actually, this week. Consider reflecting on this matter this week. If Satan, believer, if Satan were to entice you, how would he do it? He's capable of tempting us in all sorts of ways, but are you particularly susceptible to a certain sin, to a certain temptation? Puritans have much to say in this regard, and they give us lots of counsel. Be on guard Verse 6, Delilah now and Samson are going to interact. Delilah says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. What sort of question is that? Please tell me where your strength lies and, you know, if I could, you know, if I could tie you down, how could I do that? And Samson says to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson's guards shall be up. woman ever asks that to you, that's, that's a reason for concern. But he answers her. He lies to her, but he answers her. And in the lords of the Philistines, verse 8, brought up to her fresh bowstrings not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. So not only did she ask them this very curious question, she actually attempts it. And then he stays there. We see it again, verse 10. Delilah now says to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. It's the second time. Now the third time. Delilah says to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. He's, he's kind of giving something away now, isn't he? It's getting closer to the truth because his strength lies in his hair. He's under the Nazarite vow. He's never cut his hair And now he's beginning to give her a bit of an answer. If you put my hair and you lock it up into a loom, it has something to do with the head. Not quite the truth. Verse 14, she wove it tightly with the baton of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the baton and the web from the loom. I think here Samson thinks he can get out of trouble if it comes upon him. There is no way he should be this casual. But he is trapped in his sin. He's relying on his skill to get him out of trouble. He knows he's strong, so he allows himself into dangerous situations. And this is the folly of sin. He sins because he thinks he can get out of it. Sinners often believe they will escape the consequences of sin. This is perhaps especially the case for those who have great skill or great resources. Wealthy people, I think they believe, and they do, sometimes they'll pay off a police officer or a judge to get out of trouble. A person of great skill may use their skill to escape punishment. A smooth talker may wiggle his way out of trouble in the principal's office. Prominent athlete may not practice hard because they can lean on their talent. So believer, do you ever lean on your resources or your skill to make your way through life? It's good to use your resources and skills, of course, but we must lean on God. That's not what Samson is doing. Lean on God to make our way through life. There's a great difference between depending on God and depending on our own strength. We, you and I, in our own strength, we will fail. God will not fail. And Samson now will continue to stay with a woman who has now tied him up three times. He's hunted by many men who want to take him out. Yet he still makes his way of escape. No other man in Israel could have escaped such foolish, egregious, sinful escapades. Samson relies increasingly on his strength, his talent, his resources, so that he might continue in sin. His eyesight grows dim. The light of his eyes grow darker and darker. Now verse 15, Delilah says to him, How can you say, I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man." Delilah pesters him. And note how she pesters him. It's not like a middle school bully physically imposing himself on others. She pesters him with words. She presses and presses, and she tells Samson that Samson lied to her, and she tells Samson that he mocked her. She plays the victim card. You are hurting me, Samson. You're making fun of me, Samson. You're not treating me right, Samson. She plays him as if he has morality to work with. Samson, of course, should have left by now, but he stays, and eventually Delilah vexed him to death. That's verse sixteen. Vexed—what a phrase that is! Vexed him to death. So vex can mean agitate, to irritate, to confuse, to annoy. She annoyed him to death. Tell me the source of your strength. Tell me your secrets. And remember, if if Samson tells her his secrets, he's done for. But he doesn't want to give up on his sin. He wants to be with her. He won't leave. So he gives in. Even this strong man, he could not withstand this continuous dripping of the faucet. That is Delilah, a daily drip, drip, drip of Delilah's pestering. It's a bit of a side note here. In Judges, we've seen a number of times the, the power and influence of women. It's one of the things personally that surprised me about the book. And In this case, Delilah's influence and power, and that's what it is, it's a, it's a form of power, She's using it for harm. We've seen it be used for good through women in this book. But here, Delilah is using her influence and her power for harm. Samson, of course, is still at fault. He should have resisted. This story actually calls to mind the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph, as one scholar has noted, was pestered in a very similar way by Potiphar's wife. But Joseph is a good example. He stood strong. He resisted Potiphar's wife and the pestering. He withstood the temptation. But Samson fails, and he opens up to Delilah. He tells her his secret. His strength lies in the fact that he has never shaven his hair. And in verse 18, Samson tells her all of his heart. It's done for. This is blindness. It was a long road, but his field of vision has gotten so narrow that he's blind. The Puritan Thomas Fuller puts it this way, Samson was blind before he was blind. I think that's right. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand, and she lulls him to sleep on her knees and calls for a man. They shave his head. She torments him. The strength leaves him. And she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke, and this time he tries to go out as he did the other times, but he cannot shake himself free because the Lord departed from him. So up until now, Samson has held on to this aspect of his Nazarite vow. You'll recall the Nazarite vow, there were three aspects that the angel of the Lord first introduced to his parents, Samson was to never touch anything unclean, he was never to drink wine, and he was to never let a razor touch his head. We read early on the first two things, he very quickly touched something unclean and he very quickly drank wine. But he held on to this hair thing until now. And he held on to it, showing he still believed that God was the one giving him strength. He held on to at least this aspect of his faith, but now his eyes have grown so dim that he just gives it up. He tries to escape, but he's captured because the Lord has left him. He has no strength. The Spirit of God was his strength. It's not in the hair. It's in the Spirit of God. But once he cuts his hair, the vow is over, and the Lord has left him. Let me make a little bit of an excursus here because it's, I think it's worth doing. In the Old Covenant, the Spirit of the Lord would fill particular people for a particular task. So when we see the Spirit of the Lord departing Samson, it's departing Samson for a particular task. This is like, but it's also unlike the way the Spirit works under the New Covenant administration. So for you, believer, the Spirit of the Lord does not indwell you and then leave and then come back it's not like that but in the under the old testament administration there are times like this one where Samson where we see this language that we may there are times for instance like when israel disobeys god that god will depart So when God is with the people, they win. When he departs, they lose. It's similar to that. Okay, end of excursus there. but That's similar to what's happening here. Now, verse 21. The Philistines took him. This is where they gouge out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. They take him down to prison. Again, these allusions of Joseph. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. And some note that when his hair begins to grow again, it's this this idea that, okay, his faith is, he's realizing what he has done and he's now sort of looking back to God even there. More on that in a few moments. They gouge out his eyes. My children asked, what this meant the other day, to put his eyes out. So I think it's worth stating here. The Philistines, they hurt his eyes so badly that he had lost his ability to see. There are a number of ways to do this. They may have put a sharp tool into his eyes and pressed in so hard that he went blind. One way or the other, he's completely blind. And again, this is a, a parable Matthew Henry actually picks up on this parable, as other Puritans, I think, do. Samson's eyes, Matthew Henry says, were the inlets of his sin, and now his punishment began there. So remember, Samson sees the harlot. Samson sees the woman of the Philistines, and it begins there. He's sinning with his eyes, and that's where his punishment begins is imparted we too can sin with our eyes but beyond just with lustful intent like samson consider consider how we see this in scripture we can we can sin with our eyes we can look at our neighbor's house or car and we can covet even gluttony often begins not with the stomach not with not with taste but with with the eyes actually we see something we want, food or drink, and we consider it. We stare at it, contemplating it. This is how Proverbs describes the temptation to drink too much. Proverbs says this Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. So sin often can come through the eyes even the temptation to drink or eat. Or consider the temptation for greed. Temptation for greed often comes through the eyes. If you've read The Hobbit, you'll be familiar with dragon sickness. Dragon sickness is, 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 is when the dragon hoards all the gold. And then Thorin, you may recall, he sees the gold and he just looks at the gold. He doesn't want to spend the gold necessarily. He just wants to look at it. And just the looking actually makes him sick. And he becomes greedy. He actually becomes darkened. His eyes grow dim because he's sinning with his eyes. Dale Ralph Davis a good commentator he He says that Samson is intended as a mirror for Israel. In Samson, in the life of Samson, Israel is to see a parable of itself. Samson is a paradigm for Israel. Israel was raised up out of nothing. They were richly gifted. But then they pander around with other loves. How often do we read in the scriptures about Israel whoring after other gods? That's the language used. Samson very similar he falls because of the same very sin Delilah and the Philistines they achieve their goal they capture him they put him in prison and the warning here for us believer is to not let your eyes grow dim to be on guard sin knocks at the door take care of your eyes Lest the light in you be turned to darkness. That's Jesus' warning to us. And that's the warning I think we get from this chapter. Take care of your eyes. So that's the first heading. Let's turn now and consider the way of escape. First heading was about a warning. Now, a way of escape. Second heading, look to God in the darkness. Look to God in the darkness. Keeping with the sight theme. Beginning in verse 23, the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So they're having a great feast And they're thinking Dagon. And the Philistines have triumphed, at least so far. And the Philistines are worshiping their god Dagon. And at this moment, they believe that they've captured this great leader of Israel. And they're celebrating. Our God has delivered their mighty man. In essence, they're saying, our god Dagon... He's better than Yahweh. They'll do this later in 1 Samuel. And they're celebrating. Verse 25. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So now they're going to toy around with this. And they're going to rejoice and sing and laugh and be merry. And they stationed him between the pillars, and Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Already Samson is displaying some faith, isn't he? Because we know it's about to come if you've read this before. Now the temple was full of men and women, all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. So he's an entertainer. He's mo- they are mocking him. In verse twenty-eight, his great prayer. Samson calls to the Lord, saying, "O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes." And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right, on the other on his left. And Samson said, "Let me die with the Philistines." And he pushed with all his might and that simple fell on the Lord's and the people who were in it. So the dead he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him and buried him. He judged Israel 20 years. So Samson, in his most desperate hour, he looks to God. His eyes of faith Though they had grown dim and they got narrow and narrow and narrow to the point where he couldn't see and he gave up his vow, now they are restored. And when he's taken into this temple of a false god, he remembers Yahweh. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've ever sinned in an egregious way. Samson has. I don't know if you've ever gotten to a point like him where your eyes are basically shot, Samson has been there. And he's in total darkness, as it were. And when he's taken in, and they're mocking him, he remembers. And he calls out, oh God, remember me. Give me strength just this once. And for the first time, I think, in Scripture, we see, in a very obvious way, victory through death. Later we're going to see this. Jesus will be on the cross, and people will come by, and they will mock him, and they will flaunt. They're going to sell his clothes. And they're going to say, you, you who did all these miracles, why don't you come down from the cross? That's what they're doing to Samson. You, this strong man... You can't break free now. Look at you. And as Samson is mocked, and you can imagine maybe even the position he's in, holding his arms out like this, he calls out to God in the darkness. And that is the call for us. Do the same, brothers and sisters. If you ever sin in an egregious way, call out to God when you are down. When the world is dark, when you have sinned. There there are stories of people who have sinned greatly and have borne great consequences for their sin. And yet God keeps them on earth. Why does he keep them on earth? He keeps them around that they may point others to the mercies of Jesus Christ christ samson triumphs in the end he kills more in a single day than he did in his entire life but there's something lacking in this victory isn't there there's something bittersweet about this it's not a total victory it's bittersweet but let us imitate his faith when they're in the dark places Last heading, see Christ in the Samson story. I think we already have, but I'm just gonna list briefly a few points to help us see past Samson, because that's, that's my goal tonight. See Samson, but don't, don't fixate on his sin so much. That's so often what we do in the book of Judges, but let's see these people beyond just their place and time. Let's see Christ here. First of all, Samson's birth was foretold. The angel of the Lord shows up and announces his birth, that he will be a savior for his people Israel. Secondly, he's betrayed for silver. It's noteworthy that Delilah gets rewarded with silver. It's verse 18. She, like Judas, betrays God's servant for silver. The, the enemies of God, they're willing to do this, aren't they? So often they want money. And in some cases, that's all they want. They want money. In other cases, they, they, they want triumph. And thirdly, Samson crushes God's enemy. Dagon was in that temple. And as Genesis 3.15, we see this before in this book, God promises to crush Satan. And in here, it's just a foretaste. He crushes the temple, and in so doing, he crushes Dagon. And it's not the last time that Yahweh will crush Dagon, but here he does it. Matthew Poole says on the crushing that Samson did this by divine instinct and approbation. As God's answer to his prayer manifest and that he might be a type of Christ who by voluntarily undergoing death destroyed the enemies of God and of his people. So see Christ in this story. We see victory through death. It's introduced, I think. So that when Christ later triumphs through death, I think the people of Israel and the first Christians can look back at Samson and say, huh, we've seen a glimmer of this before, haven't we? So in conclusion, think of Think of Israel upon the death of Samson. What is going through their minds, I wonder? Samson did all these mighty deeds. He was this great warrior, this great judge, this great deliverer, this strong man. If a man was ever going to deliver Israel from the hand of their enemies, it's Samson. And now he's dead. And he doesn't rise from the dead, he stays dead. There's still much work to do. The Philistines still occupy their land. So there's something lacking here. So we must look forward lest we just stay here in Judges and be sad. Christ's victory is better than anything we read in Judges. And one last analogy. Recall last time, Samson, remember his name, it means miniature son. Samson is like miniature son. Sun And one scholar has pointed out that the Hebrew meaning of Delilah's name might remind us of night. She is a lady of the night. Her job is to lull Samson to sleep. Her job is to put the sun out, to leave Samson in darkness, to pluck his eyes out. And she does. Delilah, the darkness encloses this miniature sun but no one will put Christ out. He is the light of the world. He is the bright and morning star. And there will be no victory like his. So when we read this story, let us see victory, but let us recognize that this book of Judges there's something lacking here, isn't there? We need the New Testament. And thankfully, you and I live in that administration. So let's thank God for that as we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this book of Judges. We, we pray that we will see the great privilege that we, the bride of Christ, have because we have the ability to look back at this story and see a better story in Christ. And I pray that as we see the beauty of a passage like this and the triumph of a passage like this, that nothing else compares. There's no other philosophy. There's no other religion. So I pray that you will guard us as we see the riches of your word And as we go about our week, may we learn, may we learn to protect our eyes, for the enemy is out, to blind us, may we look towards you for help, we pray in Christ's name, amen.